Chapter One I step off the elevator on the morgue level, the air foul beneath a cloying patina of deodorizer. A stuttering fluorescent light is enough to cause vertigo, the white tile floor blood-dripped and dirty. Cinderblock walls are scuffed and smudged, the red biohazard trash cans overflowing. It's a few minutes past 9 a.m. November 1st, and yesterday was the deadliest Halloween on record in Northern Virginia. People were busy killing themselves and others, the weather dangerously stormy. I left my Alexandria office late and was back before daylight. We're far from caught up, and I'd be inside the autopsy suite right now if I hadn't been summoned to a scene that promises to be a nightmare. Two campers have been killed near an abandoned gold mine 60 miles southwest of here. The primitive wilderness of Buckingham Run isn't a place people hike or visit, and I've looked up information about it, getting a better idea what to expect. Virginia's Office of the Chief Medical Examiner hasn't had a case from there in its 80-some-year history. That doesn't mean there haven't been fatalities no one knows about. Buckingham Run isn't mapped or accessible by motorized ground transportation, and I wouldn't dare try it on foot. Thousands of acres are riddled with mine shafts and tunnels, among other life-threatening hazards that include contamination by poisons. There's no telling what might live in vast forest land that's been relatively untouched by humans since before the American Civil War. It goes without saying there are large wild animals, perhaps some that people wouldn't imagine. And I'm not talking about only bears. Images flash nonstop from videos that Pete Marino has been sending since he arrived at the scene. The nude female body, impaled by hiking poles floating in a lake reflecting fall colors. The campsite scattered near the entrance of the abandoned gold mine. Danger and go away barely legible on centuries-old warning signs. Marino filmed with his phone while shining a light down a mine shaft, illuminating a body caught in collapsed wooden scaffolding, the bloody face staring up blindly. I can hear Marino's booted feet moving through loose rocks and grit. I see his light painting over rusty iron rails, an ore cart shrouded in spiderwebs. Then he's exclaiming, holy shit, the light stopping on a bare footprint that seems to have been left by a giant. Leaving the building, I sent a text to Marino's satellite phone. A former homicide detective I've worked with most of my career, he's my forensic operations specialist. Several hours ago, he was airlifted to the scene with Secret Service investigators. Marino is getting an overview before I show up and is excited by the find of a lifetime, as he puts it. I'm not sharing his positive sentiments about evidence that's sensational and likely fake. Any way I look at it, we could have a real mess on our hands. If you want me to bring anything else, tell me now. Typing with my thumbs, I push through the ladies' room door. I feel for the wall switch, turning on the light inside a closet-sized space with a sink, a toilet, and a plastic chair with uneven legs. By now, I'm programmed not to pass up a chance to use the facilities. In the early days, I might have been the only female except for maybe the victim. At death scenes, I don't get to borrow the bathroom, 
and where I'm going doesn't have one. While I'm washing up with institutional soap, my computer-assisted smart ring alerts me that Marino is answering my texts to him. Drying my hands with cheap paper towels, I unlock my phone. Bring bolt cutters, he's written back, and I've already thought of it. All set. Anything else, I answer? A snake bite kit. Don't have. There's one in my truck. They don't work, I reply, and we've been through this countless times since I've known him. Better than nothing. They're not. What if someone gets bit? He adds the emoji of a coiled snake. 